0: the answer.
2: Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you, and thank you. Eight minutes past ten o'clock on this Tuesday, the 20th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Uh, good conversation, a couple of tough subjects, obviously, in the first hour of the program. Let's see if we can bring Peter Kersenow in to make a little bit of sense of all of these things. Peter Kersenow is a Cleveland attorney. He is the host of the Kersenow Report. He is a columnist for the National Review. He is a best-selling author, and he is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights in Washington, D.C. And best of all, he's my favorite guest uh, on this program each and every Tuesday. Hey, Pete, how are you?
3: Hey, Bob, I'm doing pretty well. It's a beautiful day out there. I hope it doesn't get too hot and sweltering, though. Are you uh, feeling dangerous? <laughs> oh, feeling dangerous. Night, huh? It's a good time to feel dangerous in Cleveland, Ohio, I'll tell you. <laughs> Indeed it
2: is. Indeed it is. All right, Peter. Um in our little brief pre-show conversation today, um, we, we covered a few things that I wanted to talk about, and, and they are all tied in some way, shape, or form to race, um, starting with Bernie Sanders, who has unveiled his new proposal for criminal justice reform, largely based on race, suggesting that there is an... in. in uh, an inordinate number of minorities in jail because of uh, the criminal justice system, because of the laws, because of the the way policing is done, etc., etc., We also have the story in the New York Times, their 1619 project, which is essentially a reimagining of the founding of the United States, specifically on the institution of slavery, suggesting that we broke away from the British crown because the British crown was talking about getting rid of slavery. And in the colonies, they knew they couldn't survive unless they had slaves, so they uh, formed their own country. It's, it's, it's a lie, but it's what they're doing. We have a story I just did in the first hour in California, which essentially is aimed at stopping police from shooting minorities. Uh, they now um, are not allowed to fire unless it is absolutely necessary, as opposed to the old standard, which was reasonableness. And then, of course, I have a new article that I just read in the National Review by Peter Kersenow about Trump and the black vote. Pete, I, I see all of these stories as being linked together in this way. The As you point out in your piece... The black vote is kind of up for grabs. Not the majority of it. The majority is always going to go to the Democrats, but they know the Democratic politicians, like Bernie Sanders, know. And then the media uh, uh, um, uh, elites, like the New York Times, writing this nonsense about um, about how the founding of this country, you know, came about. They all know that there is a black awakening in America. It's called Blexit, the black exit from the Democrat Party. And if they don't get their 90-plus percent of the black vote, their candidate cannot win. And so they're doing everything they can to woo the black voters back to the Democrat side of things, including with this criminal justice reform, including with these stories about, uh, uh, you know, the racism of America, and then painting Donald Trump and his supporters as racists, thinking this will get everybody back. So... I wanted to set it up that way with the kind of linking all four of those stories together, and I'll let you take it.
3: Yeah, that, actually, that's a very good linkage, Bob. Um, you know, before I get into the substance of it, you're – uh, narrative there reminded me of uh, a famous quote, which I'll butcher. I don't get it. I never get it completely correct. From Frederick Douglass, when he was asked, "What shall be done with the Negro?" and he said, "Do nothing with him. You're doing with him is getting him, gotten him into the position he's in today." And, and what we see among the Democrats is, uh, and not all Democrats. We, when we talk about this, Bob, you and I talk about the political Democrats out there, who um, you know, their aim is to get elected. Their aim is to re shape the country. Uh, but for those folks, they are engaged in so many different projects that at the end of the day will harm black Americans, but have an initial ostensibly cosmetic appeal to black Americans, because it's it appears to be pandering to the uh, subjects that at least the elite media say blacks should be concerned about. So you've got Bernie Sanders coming up with this criminal justice reform, which is which is nuts on steroids. I'm not to, not to say that there aren't certain elements of it that shouldn't be considered. Uh, but what's striking to me is when I read it, it's identical to the recommendations made by the. US. Commission on Civil Rights, the majority of whom are liberal. So you had a liberal cast. I had a dissent, a scorching dissent to this. Just a little over a year ago, the elimination of cash bail. Uh, elimination of solitary confinement, civil asset forfeiture. Actually, we had a, a separate hearing on civil asset forfeiture, uh, but it goes on and on and on. Now, not to say that some of these elements don't have some merit, at least bear some discussion. You know, it's not as if you say, okay, th- this is stupid, we're not even going to discuss it. But what Bernie Sanders has done is lumped all these things together in one big pot, because he believes that that will... Well, first of all, I think he's a true believer, by the way, but nonetheless... Uh, All the Democrats understand it is essential that they get a not just 90 percent of the black vote as Democratic presidential candidates typically get, but they have to have significant turnout numbers in order to breach or or actually reconstitute the fabled blue wall consisting of Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, so on and so forth, because Donald Trump, for all of the rhetoric about him being a racist, a Nazi, a white supremacist, all these different things, white nationalist, what's astonishing is that his numbers are actually better than that of most Republicans. In fact, if you take a look at the polling numbers, he's polling better than any Republican has in 30 years. Uh, That's astonishing. Now, some of that could be because, let's face it, Donald Trump, uh, has done, at least from a substantive standpoint, some things that are tremendous for the black community. You know, unemployment is at the lowest level, ever median income up, you know, on and on and on. We've heard all those those stories. But on top of that, um, my view is, and I don't have any, uh, you know, stats on this. Uh, you know, there's, I don't even know how you would measure this. But it's just a sense that I have talking to people and having been on this earth for several decades and, you know, not being a babe in the woods, that when the Democrats came out and took their, not just their best shot, they took the ultimate shot. They called Donald Trump Hitler, and then they called him a white nationalist, a white supremacist. And after a while, it's like the boy who cried wolf. I think a lot of people have said, well, wait a minute. You know, I don't see the Klan running around the streets and stuff like that. We hear discreet issues with respect to a white nationalist here, a white nationalist there. But I've said in my uh, National Review piece, you know, I look at these numbers, Bob. This is what I do. Uh, they talk about all these different white supremacy organizations that are being encouraged by Trump, and you know they lied about what he said at Charlottesville, all these different things. But when you look at the numbers, we are in one of the best periods in terms of non-discrimination, non-racism, and very few white nationalist or white supremacist groups out there. Back in but, but, Pete, but
2: Pete, Pete before, before you continue, you know there are people screaming at the radio right now, um, well, particularly leftists if they're listening, saying, what do you mean? White nationalism is on the rise. We've been told that white <laughs> nationalists are the greatest domestic terror threat that we face here. In fact, they're a stronger or a worse terror threat than uh, than Muslim extremists or any other organization
3: yeah, and all that's false, uh, and you don't just have to rely on my numbers. I was um, in Washington last week and I had a chance to talk with former Assistant FBI Director Chris Stecker. And we talked about all these things. It, and it was interesting because there are there's a greater attention being placed on white supremacists and white nationalists because, lo and behold, even the government, even law enforcement agencies pay attention to what's in the news. And when the Democrats are very savvy about this, and the left is very savvy about this. But again, I, I repeat myself, but the media is out there talking about this stuff. So the FBI and other organizations, they'd be remiss if they didn't paint it's political survival. They want to take a look at this stuff. You know, what's going on? Well, the fact of the matter is that, yeah, there are a few of these white supremacist organizations out there, like the Aryan Nations and something called the Adam Waffen, and, and so on and so forth, we I, I did, along with uh, my assistants, a deep dive into these numbers. I mean, a very deep dive. Not just the kind of thing that New York Times may superficially do because they have a certain, as you said, they want to reimagine or reframe um, slavery and basically history in this country. Bottom line, is propaganda. And nine times out of ten, it's going to be a lie. Remember, whenever somebody starts saying reimagine, everything that's going to come after that mostly is going to be a fraud. But nonetheless, uh Give you one data point, Bob, because I know your audience loves data. I get emails from some of your fans, and, and they, they tell me about these data points that they, they latch on to. We had 130 million people in this country in 1930, Bob. 130 million. Today we have 330 million, 200 million more. In 1931, we had 130 million people, there were 4 million Klansmen. Now, if you listen to the media, it sounds like, my goodness, there's a Klansman around every corner today or some type of white nationalist, but today... When three hundred and thirty million people live in the United States, we've got approximately three to four thousand Klansmen. Are there some other groups? Yeah, they're out there. But when we did a deep dive into this, Bob, you have these groups that are—they're almost laughable. Not to say you shouldn't watch them, because you know even laughable groups can do stupid and dangerous things. But you've got individuals. I'll give you one example, and I talked about this with uh, Chris Stucker. Um, we, ha- we looked at one group that the, uh, Southern poverty, Le- uh, the SPLC, Southern poverty leadership conference, it's, it's cited because it showed a proliferation of white nationalism. What it, when you looked at the numbers, there were four of these guys, there are four of these guys who were roommates. One of their roommates converted to Islam. And so the other three started making fun of him. He gets into a fight with them, splits off. Okay, so th- the data show that somehow there's a proliferation of groups. So you've got one guy who's formed his own organization, and you've got these three other losers forming another organization. The-, the thought that you've got thousands of people out there in these various groups, and they're all scheming to overthrow the United States, again, look, keep an eye on every extremist. We saw that you- there's not enough vigilance out there, no matter what the group, no matter what the motivating ideology. But you hear racism, You hear white supremacy, you hear white nationalism on a daily basis. When I walk through the lobby, CNN is on, or walk through uh, an airport, almost every three hours or so, there's something about white supremacy, the Nazis and all that other stuff. And one of the basic reasons for that is, and one of the reasons why New York Times is trying to reframe the founding of the country, is that it's in service of the progressive agenda to change the country. But the more immediate challenge is get rid of the bad orange man. And they're doing it on steroids. Now, they do it every election cycle. I usually have a piece in National Review just about every election cycle reminding people of what the imperative is for Democrats to get elected. And that is they have got to marshal a significant portion of the black vote. And not only that, they have to make sure they goose up black turnout numbers. Because one of the reasons why Hillary Clinton lost is she still got 90% of the black vote. But she didn't turn, blacks weren't turning out like they were under Obama and even under Kerry um, and, and other Democrats. She got a total of 4 million fewer black votes than Barack Obama did. And that's one of the reasons why she lost. That lesson has not been lost on the Democrats in the media. But again, I repeat myself, and they are going to do everything they can superficially, To appeal to the black vote, whether it's either scaring blacks into thinking there's a Klansman around every corner or trying to give giveaways, which is one of the most racist presumptions, of course. Oh, Oh, blacks want this and they want that. They want, you know, reduced prison sentences for criminals. They want more welfare benefits. It's the stereotypic presumption on the part of progressives.
2: That's very well said. And by the way, it's not the Klansman around the corner that I, that I think is being, uh, used to scare black voters now. It's that there's a Klansman in the White House. The red hat is the new hood. That's the problem, uh, it, it, you know, that, that President Trump has to try to overcome. The lies from the media and from the Democrats, as you repeat yourself, uh, that is exactly what, um, uh, you know, that we have to deal with right now is, is changing that narrative. Peter now is back with us for more right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, Peter Kirsten, I was with us once again on AM 1420, The Answer, Cleveland attorney member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Pete, I want to expand the conversation about race to the uh, New York Times project that is being called by many uh, nothing but propaganda uh, journalism. Uh, there is very little journalism. This is almost a reimagining. It's kind of like a fantasy version of the founding of this country. It's called the 1619 Project. I know you are familiar. Um, essentially the, the 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 crux of this is that the united states was built to be a racist country um that that uh, continued the the you know the the horrible uh, institution of slavery and that the reason we broke away from england is that the the British were were going to end uh, the the transatlantic slave trade, and uh, the colonies in the you know here in in, in North America were were ter- terrified at that thought. They were going to lose all of their free labor, and so they formed their own country so that they could keep slaves. Um, it's not true not even close to being true, but this is what the New York Times, the media portion of what you and I were just discussing here, is they continue to try to gin up African-American anger against perceived racists, including what they have dubbed President Trump to be.
3: Yeah, and you know, the New York Times is the bellwether for almost every other media organ out there, because 90% of it, uh, maybe I'm exaggerating slightly, but just slightly leans left, and they take their cue from the New York Times. So, this is a lot more pernicious than merely, and it's not merely when the New York Times does it because they've got a big megaphone, but so many different outlets pick up what the New York Times does either directly from what they have written, or they follow their path and try to emulate them. That's the danger here. And because we've done a very poor job teaching history in this country, in fact, I'm not even sure in many uh, quarters that we're actually teaching history to the extent we're teaching. It's the Howard Zinn form of American history, where it's all based on America is awful. And it's a huge, huge lie. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm one of those benighted individuals, and I suspect so many of your audience are, is the same, and I know you are, Bob, that I actually read history. I spent time on this stuff <laughs> back in the day, you know, we actually learned real history, and not only that, you know, I'm, I, like to think I'm an amateur student of history. I read as much as I can, I devour this stuff. And for all of you listeners out there who've done the same thing, you all know this is a big lie. You know this is big propaganda. And it's I think emblematic of how corrupt so many of our institutions have, have become. They are they are purposely slanting things and in some case outright lying in order to achieve a desired objective. And when you have that kind of corruption, I, I think a long time ago when i was growing up um, you know our uh, the adults the the, the kid the people who were responsible understood the need to make sure that you had integrity that you had uh, accuracy in in anything that you did in terms of your speech in terms of your conduct and we have been so much so many of our institutions have been corrupted to achieve a particular desired result there's so much bias there there is so much outright lying and this is one example of that and i don 't want to uh, i no I cannot overstate it 's impossible to overstate uh the danger inherent in doing something like this. We already have seen the ramifications of widespread telling of myths and lies in service of a political agenda. We saw it with respect to uh, Michael Brown and Ferguson, hands up, don't shoot. There are direct offshoots of that. First of all, there's a lot of stupid things that that uh, spawn from that, such as some of these consent decrees and yep. uh, police practices that end up with more blacks because that's the ostensible target here in terms of protecting people more blacks dying as a result more crime occurring as a result i mean there's a direct correlation here this is not rocket science we have studies that show precisely this and so when we do this on a larger scale when we try to say that the entire founding of the nation is somehow unjust and and corrupt the entire and and the whole purpose for founding the nation is to somehow in in enshrine slavery as an institution and that uh America, as it's constituted today, is a direct result or primarily result of slavery. Yes, slavery was a big-time institution, there's no doubt about it, but in perspective, it actually retarded the economic advancement of the South, and remember New York Times, Most of the country had no slavery, fought against slavery, and the Founding Fathers, almost to a person, even though they were flawed human beings, and this is one of the things the the, the left doesn't understand because they don't have, well, I, I won't go into it, they were flawed human beings, and several of them were slaveholders, but if you read what they wrote Aspirationally, what they sought for the country was equality under the law. Someone said, and I know you got to go to break, Bob. Yeah, but we do. I'm trying to, I'm trying to recapture it precisely what somebody said, and it was brilliant. And maybe it was Abraham Lincoln, who in the Lincoln-Douglas, and uh, the advent of the Lincoln-Douglas debates, was talking about, this is in the 1850s, whether or not you can rip off the scab of slavery in one fell swoop and, again, I probably your audience is much brighter than I am, and they probably have a better understanding of, of, of who said this and precisely what. But I thought it was brilliant the way it was put and I'm, I'm going to try to replicate it as... as yeah, let, why, why, as don't, why, don't
2: we, why don't we take the break now, and you can grab that uh, in the deep recesses of your incredible memory, and we'll come back on the other side with that. And then I also want to ask you about that awakening, that Blexit movement. How big is it? Is it big enough to save the president? Recent Fox News polling does not look good for the president across all demographics, Democrats are celebrating, and the president is mad at Fox News for it. I'm going to get your thoughts on that as we continue. Peter now after this. Oh, oh, oh. On, oh, oh. All right, 10.36 now. Uh, we continue with Peter now Cleveland attorney, member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. He's also a noted author and guest speaker. And, uh, Pete, uh, I, I want to hit two things with you before you go. As I mentioned before the break, you know, we've been talking about the importance of the black vote. You wrote about it in your most recent article, which people can read right now at National Review Online or NRO.com. Uh, uh, um. And and we're talking about the impact of, of Blexit, which is uh, a, a movement started by Candace Owens, Turning Point USA and others, uh, trying to help lead the black exit from the Democrat Party. And, and the president, of course, n- is going to need that to happen to win this election, to win re-election. And just recently, the latest Fox News poll shows that his support is declining, even among those taking the Fox News poll, dropped from 46% in July to 43%. Livid is ripping Fox saying something is different about Fox. They're not doing what they used to do. Some would read that as they're not cheerleading for him as much. Uh, and that's what's leading to a drop in the polls. Put those two things together for me. Is the president going to get the support that he needs from black America, black voters, as well as just you know his return voters, um, to win re-election? Is the Blexit movement big enough to stem the tide, if you will, if that tide is uh, going against Donald Trump right now, who, by the way, is losing in numerous polls to each of the top Democrat contenders?
3: Yeah, uh, Bob. Uh, first, a couple points. Uh, first of all, remember that at the precise same period in time—that is, the August of the year before the election—Barack Obama was at forty percent. Okay, mm-hmm. so remember that he He beat Mitt Romney by six points. So when you see polls this far out, and also, the, the biggest surprise of all, of course, was November of 2016. We remember that day, and it was just, I still, I don't know about you, Bob, but on occasion, you know, once every six months ago, I go to YouTube, and I just revel in some of the video <laughs> of the, the various newscasters who were dumbfounded at 11 o'clock that night. It's, it, it's, so you're a, you're a believer in schadenfreude. It, I sure am. It was so much fun. <laughs> but but um, so I don't want to put too much stock in the polls here. I, you know, I, I, I look at them, I evaluate them, and you know, put them in context. Um, I think my own view is, and I'm not uh, a political maven of any sort, but if I were going to make a prediction, I would say that barring, a recession, Trump wins uh, for a variety of reasons. One is he is fortunate in his opponents. But well, you look at the cast of characters on the other side, not one of those has a prayer of beating uh, Trump unless something fairly dramatic happens. And by dramatic, I mean, it's got to be either war or a fairly significant recession. Um, but aside from, from that, I think that in terms of whether or not Trump will get more of the black vote, I think he will get, he got 8% of the black vote, which is kind of typical. If you read my, my column, I list the percentage of the black vote that various candidates got, and normally Democrats get about 90% of the black vote. They cannot win unless they get 90% of the black vote plus, but more importantly, and they saw this in 2016, Hillary Clinton got 90% of the black vote, but the turnout wasn't there. So they've got to stoke up black turnout as much as they can. And what if you're a Democrat, what do you say? What do you say to stoke black turnout because we've got the best economy of our lifetimes. You know, we're not at, at uh, in any major war. We still have, you know, engagements going on in Afghanistan and and uh, other places, but it's not a hot shooting war. Things are going fairly well on, on the measures that typically predict whether somebody's going to achieve re-election. Re- so the Democrats can't say a whole lot other than racist, you know, homophobe, sexist, white supremacist, uh, so on and so forth. I think we this is a peculiar time, and Trump is a peculiar candidate. He's not like anybody else. Most of the time, no, all the time, with one exception in two thousand four. Republican presidential candidates just cede the black vote to the Democrats. They don't even place any resources there because they think that those resources are better used elsewhere. The, the incremental number of votes they're going to get by putting lots of money into the black community is just not going into getting the black electorate to come out for them. is just not worth it. You've got to be very targeted. But Trump is taking a different position. Uh, Trump has been the most active of any Republican presidential candidate in my lifetime in trying to court the black vote i'll give you a a bit of anecdotal evidence and and i know we don't have a whole lot of time to go into some of the other things but the anecdotal evidence is this i've been living in the same place in inner city cleveland for um nearly 40 years bob and um there's been only once when i've seen republican yard signs flyers canvassers or anything else and that was in 2004 when george w bush was seeking re-election and guess what george w bush's uh, black vote totals in Ohio increased by not 5%, not 10%, by 100%. Karl Rove had made it a, a, a priority to gin up more of the black vote for Republicans, and it, it turned to be the difference maker uh, in beating John Kerry. Now, if Trump does anything even remotely like that, Democrats have no prayer of winning. If Democrats, if Trump simply got 11 to 12% of the black vote, there's no way in the world whoever the Democratic candidate is going to win is going to prevail. Trump understands that. But more importantly, I've said this to you once before, Bob. Um, I don't reveal what I've talked about with President Trump, uh, but on, except one thing, because I thought it was important for the public to know, because it's contrary to every single thing the media says about the guy. The first time I met with him, a little over a week after the election in 2016, and he was there with his staff and everybody else, he asked me, the first question out of his mouth was, How do we improve the working conditions for black Americans in places like Detroit and Chicago and where you're from? That was the most imperative thing on his mind, and he asked me that question more than once, and also just to improve the overall conditions of black Americans in this country. It was, in my estimation, I'm not a mind reader, but in my estimation, it was a sincere question. There was nobody there to pander to. You know, the the, the cameras weren't there. This is he, he just won. He doesn't need to pander to anybody. But it was a sincere question as to how he can remedy unemployment and other maladies in the black community. So when I hear this stuff about Trump being a racist, and I know that they've made up stories about what he you can read the, the transcript of what he said in Charlottesville, and they're flat out lying. And what's incredible to me is, yeah, we expect the politicians to lie, but the media out there is simply repeating those lies, and they know better. There's a full-scale attempt to paint Trump as a racist because they know they have no other weapons in their arsenal to beat him because he's delivering for the average American.
2: With the possible exception, as you pointed out in your comments there, Pete, of recession. You said, absent recession, he gets reelected." Yeah. They are doing their level best, are they not, to create recession. I made this the theme of my show yesterday. All you hear, all you heard over the weekend, especially after we had that huge drop in the Dow uh, back on Thursday, all we heard was recession, 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 recession. And it's been nonstop. And it's my estimation, and we know this because Bill Maher, who, not that he speaks for all liberals, but uh, is generally supported for his claim that we need a recession to happen between now and 2020, that's the only way we get rid of Trump. And by ch- by literally predicting one, saying it is coming, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Scare people that a recession is coming. It means their jobs are in jeopardy. Then what do they do? They start pinching their pennies. They start building up the nest egg in case recession comes, and they lose their jobs. They stop spending. And when they stop spending, what do they do? They hurt businesses and manufacturers, who then lay people off, and it becomes a self-fulfilling cycle. That's their goal here, is to literally hurt the American worker, Hurt the American family. Bring a recession. Stephanie Ruhl was on MSNBC yesterday saying, a recession is okay. It's okay if we have a recession. I mean, this is this is, this is is what they're willing to do. They're willing to harm voters, harm American workers and people just to get their, their political agenda achieved.
3: That's a very good summation, Bob. I would say one other thing for your listeners out there, and I know most of them are, are, are thinking this anyway, so I don't have to say it. If you're even thinking about casting a vote for the left, remember that this is what they are willing to do. They're willing to have the economy tank, have hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people either lose jobs or have lower wages. They are, in addition to that, willing to go through a soft coup to undo the results of the 2016 election. That's what occurred. Every person who pays attention And doesn't mince words, and I hate to say that, I mean, I don't want to sound like I have a tinfoil hat, but it was an attempt at a soft coup. And they are willing to put the country into recession in order to achieve their agenda. Would you vote for somebody like that? Somebody who's willing to see American democracy hurt, but also the American worker hurt, so they can implement whatever utopian schemes they want. Really, kind of astonishing, isn't it?
2: That is, uh, it's it's terrifying. They're willing they're willing to upset American democracy, as you point out, and uh, and undo a, a, you know an election that they did not like the result of. They're willing to hurt the American people. All and by the way, here is the worst part about this: they will then blame Trump for the recession. Because of capitalism, and whoever comes in, whether it's Warren or Harris or Booker, will put whatever socialist model that they can uh, in, into play here. And and quite frankly, you know, this is this is why we call it a war. Honestly, for for this country's future here, we either embrace President Trump and capitalism, or we allow any one of those Democrats and socialism, open borders, socialism uh, to to rule the day. And uh, yeah, I and, wonder.
3: You know, who I I asked when Jeff Sessions was um, leading the charge with respect to um, the immigration debate, I once asked him, who do these people represent? Um, And when you talk about some of the Democrats and some Republicans, and I'm talking about the political class, I'm not talking about your average everyday person, but... Who do they represent? They are, you know, when you're talking about Bernie Sanders and his uh, criminal justice reform project, you're talking about the 1619 project in the New York Times, all these things, it seems as if it's calculated not to appeal to the hardworking, you know, law-abiding, tax-paying American citizen, but in the main, non-citizens, criminals, those who don't contribute to society, those who sometimes you could... E- that you could legitimately claim they hate America or the notion of America, why in the heck would you want someone like that leading your country? I'd much rather some, have somebody who's flawed, but there's no doubt whatsoever he loves America because at the end of the day, when there's a close call to be made, he will make the right one in service of the United States and the Constitution. I can't be so certain that somebody who objectively hates America is going to do the same thing.
2: Peter, last thing before you jet, and we've already kept you longer than you could stay, so you, you don't have to if you don't want. But uh, any any thoughts maybe in 60 or 90 seconds on uh, the squids, uh, Omar and Talib, their their game they played with Israel. We want to come to Palestine. They wouldn't even call it Israel. They were shut out by Israeli government because they support the BDS movement. They were going to go there to try to trash uh, and propagandize against the very nation they were visiting. We all know the story from there. Tlaib said, what about my grandma? I want to see my grandma. They said, fine. Come in and see your grandma, and she said, "No, not unless I get to do my BDS stuff." So I'm not coming. Um, they're blaming yeah, the president. I, there, there's the presidents, you know, is using Netanyahu as a puppet, making him make these decisions. You've heard all of it. Any thoughts on it, Pete?
3: Yeah, my only thought is, you know, I mean, they're, they're fairly simple and soft from again, But if somebody said they hated your guts and you said, and but said he wanted to come to your house, you'd have to be a little nuts to say, "Yeah, come on over." Um, I think, you know, again, I don't want to equate a house to a country, but at some point you have to say, why do we have an obligation to permit these people who clearly hate our country to be here and propagandize on our soil? I know today we're supposed to be so open minded about this thing and bring snakes into our beds with us, but my goodness, these people, you, you, all they're going to do is propagandize on your soil. Why do it? Why give them that billhorn? You don't win any points in doing so. And I, if I were Netanyahu, I would say, no way, okay. You know, if you want to come visit your mother on humanitarian or grandmother on humanitarian grounds, all right. But the minute you say something that inflames, any kind of situation in Israel, boom, you're gone. We're not going to give you a microphone to do or a a megaphone to do something like that. So um, these folks, the Democratic Party needs to get a handle on them. Otherwise, you have to wonder, what's the Democratic Party about?
2: Peter, great minds clearly think alike, because I I equated it to a house as well, and I tweeted uh, that, B.B., I'm with you. I don't let any holes into my house either. Uh, That's the way it's going to be. Peter Kirshen, great stuff, my friend, as always. Thank you so much for the time.
3: 19 days, Bob, 19 days. Feeling dangerous,
2: Peter Kirsan now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer back with our final segment and your calls after this. All right, ten fifty four. Final segment of the Bob France Authority for this Tuesday morning. Let's go out to Cleveland and say good morning to Daniel. Uh, Daniel, you're on the program. Go right
3: ahead.
4: Hey, good morning. One of the reasons the Trump polls are down, he says, I can't wait to get out and go back to the land where the criminals are. There's a commentary on this, Daniel Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L on Google. I recorded a judge asking for 10 Gs. I brought them to a church. And in the Chicago backdrop, he says there's enough on those tapes. He's going to flee to Brazil or false arrest me and order a psych exam. They're holding me at Trenton Psych. Trump says every six months he's going to make an excuse to keep me here. We've got court tomorrow, and they came to my room and said, yeah, yeah, we're going to do the same thing and cover everything up. And the Daniel site, and the picture of the hand over the glass, captioned, police admit, you're dragged to 3940. She says there's enough evidence to blame the listeners. That's two judges. They dictate my look and what I'm to sing in court. It's how they get paid. So she says, high school girl is a target for marketing by the two older females in town. She calls to producers and needs to beeline it out of town. The producers kept this in mind. She's in a trafficking ring and forced marriage with these guys. So in the first week of um, I'm, I'm July... I'm a little
2: lost as to how we went from uh, the Trump polls to where you are right now
4: that's why his polls are down he says every six months he's going to make an excuse to keep me at trenton psych we've got court tomorrow he says he's going to fix it every six months to keep me here so nobody can hear the tapes down at the nazarene church of the judge asking for the money.
2: I'm, I'm kind of he doubtful says, i'm, Dan, daniel, I'm kind of doubtful that that's uh, daniel daniel I, i'm kind of doubtful that that's why his polls are down because i'm guessing that probably 95 percent of the public has no idea what you're talking about right now and they're not judging donald trump based on what on the story you were just telling by by I appreciate your phone call, but I don't think that's where uh, I don't think that's where we are. Jim in West Park next. Hi, Jim. Go ahead.
4: If everything about this country was built on slavery with black slaves, then why are they trying to uh, trying to take it down? That's like a double negative, isn't it? And the argument is, if a woman wants to have an, uh, to abort a child, she probably isn't capable of raising it. Well, wouldn't you think that the left would want that baby uh, 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 as, as, a, as a voter? Thank you for taking my call, Bob. Uh,
2: Jim, thanks for making the call. I appreciate it. Let, let's go to Sister Mary Grace in Old Brooklyn next. Hi, Sister. Go ahead.
4: Oh, my goodness gracious. I just got rid of my TV, my really? spectrum, and now I'm just listening to radio if you can't tell the truth why would you make that decision because it's about truth and sometimes the truth will set you free and sometimes it'll put your butt in jail
2: yeah but you know you're going to miss the browns
4: (laughs) honey they're fine with baker mayfield (laughs) all the best bakers are in mayfield god bless you you have a great day
2: thank you sister i appreciate it i Look, there's a lot of lies. She's talking about truth. There's a lot of lies on TV. That is truth. Um... I don't know that I would just get rid of television, though, because of it. I would probably choose the programs that are a little bit more suitable, uh, to truth. And uh, I certainly wouldn't want to give up my opportunity to watch uh, what could be a very fun fall, including the Indians and the Browns. I just threw that part in there. Hey, before we go, I want to remind you, you've been hearing the promos, and I want to uh, remind you, it's a couple of months out, but it's important. It's extraordinarily important. The War for America's Soul Tour is coming of course, to Northeast Ohio. How could it not? The most influential conservatives, including two of the very best uh, Salem uh, nationally syndicated hosts, Dr. G. Sebastian Gorka, my friend Hugh Hewitt, uh, will be on stage with me on November 21st. Um, it's it's going to be an amazing event at the Holiday Inn on Rockside Road. Uh, I cannot wait for, these, for this event. We haven't had one in about a year and a half or so. I always meet so many wonderful people at these events. And if you would like to join us to discuss the War for America's soul, talking about radical socialism, talking about racial tensions, talking about illegal immigration, talking about social infighting that is going on in this country, the culture and political divide that we are experiencing right now, it is a war for the very soul of America. And we are going to unite together to talk about the best ways to win that war in defense of our culture. So that is coming up on Thursday, November 21st at 7 p.m. Do not wait to get your tickets, especially if you would like to have dinner with me or have dinner with you or have dinner with um, Dr. G. General admission tickets are just $25. VIP tickets to the dinner are 75. If you want to sit at my table or Hugh's table or Dr. G's table and enjoy dinner conversation with us, it's $150. It is a phenomenal time. I love it each and every year that we or each and every uh, year uh, time that we have these events through the years. Please get your tickets now. Just go to whkradio.com. All the info you need is right there. That's going to do it for today's uh, authority. Stay where you are, though, because Mike Gallagher is coming up next right here on AM 1420 The Answer. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: Enjoy the silence.